Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Romans chapter 9 concerning the potter and the clay and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And in this program, I would just like to add a few things concerning the subject of hardening a person's heart that I didn't have time to get into in the previous program. And that is that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, not because God overcame Pharaoh and decided, I am going to make your heart hardened and you have nothing to say about it. You can do nothing about it. That's not what he meant when he said he caused Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. I sincerely believe that what he meant by that was that Pharaoh was unwilling to receive God's message. He was unwilling to let the Israelite people go. That it was his choice still to refuse to let the people go or to let the people go. And he decided it was his choice not to let them go. And so God had to force Pharaoh to let them go by giving a number of plagues to the land of Egypt, to the people of Egypt, until they were finally willing to let the people go. But it's really quite simple in terms of how his heart was hardened. The reason why his heart was hardened was because he was confronted. That was why his heart was hardened. Now, you know people, I'm sure you know people in your life, who you have confronted on one occasion or another. You have spoken with people about things that you were disappointed about, or you wanted them to maybe do something different, you spoke with them and you said that perhaps they did something that you didn't like them doing, that they did something that hurt you or hurt somebody that was close to you, and so you decided to confront them over that. Now, when you confront people, when you invade a person's space, invade their time, and explain to them that you are disappointed with them or that you want them to do something different, and they don't want to do something different, or they don't care if you're disappointed with them or not, do they normally respond in a very polite and kind way to you? No, it's very unusual for a person to do that. Normally, if you approach someone and ask them to do something that they don't want to do, or demand that they do something that they don't want to do, they're going to be hardened to that. They're going to be opposed to that. They are not going to do that. They are going to be unwilling to do that. And you've probably noticed on occasion that they are so determined not to do what you ask or not to change what you expect them to change or whatever it may be. They are so determined that they'll get angry and they'll express their anger and you will see a hardening of that individual. Now, if you have personally experienced that yourself, with the relationships that you have with other people, would you be surprised if God confronted somebody, especially somebody as powerful as Pharaoh? Would you be surprised if he reacted in a similar way? Would you be surprised if he was hardened in a certain way? Well, you caused the other person's heart to be hardened because you confronted them. 
they were probably doing just fine. They were probably happy and joyful and busy with their life until you disturbed them, until you bothered them. And then their heart was obviously hardened. So also with Pharaoh, he was doing pretty good with all those slaves. He put them to work. He was building a lot of buildings and he was constructing a lot of valuable things. He was benefiting from their labor. He didn't have a problem with them being there. And so when God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh that God wanted the people to be set free, Pharaoh's response was a hardened heart. He said, no. Now, of course, God caused that to happen, because if God never asked Pharaoh to let the people go, his heart would have never been hardened. But because he did, Pharaoh was confronted with a circumstance, and he made a decision not to let the people go. And so I want you to understand that when the scriptures say that God caused Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, it also says on occasion that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Regardless of how that was described, to me it is nothing more than a response. It is nothing more than the result of two people engaging with one another in conversation, whereas one person refuses to do what another person has demanded. In this case, it was the demand of God to let the people go. Now, in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, in Romans chapter 9, verse 24, it is explained that the message of the gospel goes out into the world. Our God has sent out a call. He has called out to people, and the call is, Come to me for who I am, and for what I've got to offer. That's the call that goes out into the world through the message of the gospel. The gospel is, come to me for what I have to offer. What I have to offer is, of course, forgiveness, but more importantly, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be a Jew to be the recipient of the Holy Spirit. It took the church a little while to recognize this and discover this. It wasn't until Acts chapter 11 that the early church acknowledged that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew. But they eventually figured that out through the intervention of God, through the life of Peter and the household of Cornelius, as was described in Acts chapter 10. But in verse 24, this is Romans chapter 9, verse 24, it says, Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Now, he again, he called out to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, but only some responded. Only some responded to the gospel. And today, only some respond to the gospel message. Not everyone does that because people don't want to respond to the gospel message. Everyone hears the call, but only those who are willing to receive what he has to offer, who want what he has to offer, will take what he is offering. In verse 25, he speaks about the prophet Hosea. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those people who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now, how do you become a son of the living God? How do you become a son or daughter, child of God? How does that happen? How is that accomplished? The only way, according to the new covenant, that a person can be a child of God, a son of God or a daughter of God, the only way that that can be accomplished, is if you are born again. You have to be born again. You have to be resurrected from among the dead. That is the only way. 
And the only way that that will be accomplished is if you are the recipient of the free gift of the Holy Spirit that has been offered to you by the Lord Jesus because he rose from the dead. And of course, the only way that you can receive that and keep it is if the sin issue between you and your God is over. And it did come to an end. It is over. It is over because of what he did on the cross. That's the gospel, and that is the message that has gone out into the entire world, and those who are willing to receive what he is offering can become a son of God. Now, please understand something, that according to this definition, according to what I have just described, there was never a son of God before Jesus rose from the dead, according to that definition. Now, I do believe that people during the time of the Old Testament, during the time before Jesus died and rose from the dead. I do believe that some of those people will make it into heaven. I do believe that he will be merciful, that he will recognize the condition of people's hearts, those who have recognized that they have no hope outside of his mercy. I believe he will find a way of accommodating that. I'm not referring to those exceptions concerning the gospel. What I'm referring to right now is that in the context of the gospel, I want you to see that no one was truly a son of God according to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit until after Jesus died and rose from the dead. Before that time, no one was ever a son of God according to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. They could have been according to his mercy, but not according to resurrection not according to salvation through the Messiah. So if that's the case, then let's read this again in verse 26. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Now, consider this for just a moment. And that is in the place where there was his people, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah later on. Those people, were they ever His people, were they ever sons of God? Were they ever beloved? Well, in a sense, yes, they were his people in a certain sense, but not according to salvation, not according to resurrection, not according to have a place in the kingdom of heaven. They were his people in the sense that they were the people who he set free from Egypt. They were the people who he gave the land as an inheritance to. They were the people who he blessed. They were the people who he helped during difficult times throughout the history of Israel as a nation. He did intervene in their lives. They were his people. They were beloved, but not in the same way as those who have been resurrected according to the gospel. We who have been resurrected are beloved in a different way. We are his people in a different way. We are the sons of God. In a very different way. Again in verse 25. As he says also in Hosea. I will call those who were not my people. My people. And her who was not beloved. Beloved. He's talking about the Gentiles. And it shall be that in the place. Where it was said to them. You are not my people. There they shall be called. Sons of the living God. Referring to the Gentiles. In the place that was not declared. For his name. Jerusalem. In other places, other people can become sons of God, whereas before, no one was ever a son of God, not in the context of the gospel. So in verse 27, it says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant 
that will be saved. Do you see that? Do you notice that? The sons of Israel. There is a difference between the sons of Israel and the sons of the living God. The sons of the living God are those who are saved according to the gospel, and the sons of Israel are those who were saved according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. They were saved from Egypt according to the flesh, but that didn't mean that they were going to be saved or have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Some of them responded to the gospel, and those were saved. How many? A remnant. A remnant. That's why it says, again in verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. The remnant, just like with the Gentiles. There may be as many Gentiles as there is sand on the seashore, but a remnant of the Gentiles also will be saved. Because very few people want to know their God. In verse 28, For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. Why would he say that? He would say that because as you notice, this has been accomplished over a series of generations without posterity, without the generations. Then history would have never come to the point of the Lord Jesus being the Messiah, providing for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration There would have to be posterity. There would have to be generations. God was merciful to allow there to be generations so that he could accomplish the complete work that he came to accomplish. Otherwise, they would have disappeared like Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have just simply been destroyed and there would be nothing left but a bunch of dirt, a bunch of ashes. That would be it. In verse 30, this is Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, this is a difficult section for people to get through because people generally do not want to believe that the law is a big stumbling stone in their way. They don't want to believe that. People generally want to believe that the law was given for them to use and utilize so that they might know God more. And in some ways, yes, we can use it for that purpose, but not in the ways that I hear a lot of people trying to use it for. They believe that through that they might be able to compare themselves with other people and say, look, I'm more obedient to God's commandments than they are, and so I'm I'm a better person than they are. I don't sin as much as they do. There are a lot of people who look at the law in that way and say that this is what it's for. It's given so that we can make comparisons with each other, something like that. I personally think that that's totally absurd. But people stumble over this. They stumble over this, and then they get concerned. They should be concerned, but they get concerned because they wonder, how is it that a person can grow closer to God? How is it that they can be right with God? How can they be a son of God and receive the inheritance of God and live having a relationship with their God when they don't have the law? 
when they don't apply the law in their lives, when they don't live by the law. How could that be? And he says very clearly that that's right. Yes, that's exactly right. And the reason why is because the law was never given for those reasons. That's why it's a stumbling stone. It's because people make assumptions. People make assumptions that are wrong. That's the problem. The law was given for many important purposes. It was given for several important reasons, and it should definitely be utilized for those reasons. But for people to assume that it has something to do with our relationship with our God in terms of being right with him or having some righteousness of some kind, absolutely not. Nothing to do with that at all. You're stumbling over the stumbling stone. Don't do that. So again, in verse 30, it says, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? Yes, they did. They did attain righteousness, not by pursuing it through the law, because it was never going to be obtained that way anyway. That was the assumption. The assumption was was that you could obtain or sustain your righteousness or your right standing before your God through the law. And it was never given for that reason. It was given to show you that you cannot. That's what it was given for. And so just because the Gentiles don't have it, that doesn't mean they can't figure that out. They can figure out that they are not right with God. That's not the point. The point is, is how do you become right with God? You become right with God because you believe him. Because you trust him. Because the truth is revealed to you and you believe it. That is faith. Faith is your response to the truth that has been revealed to you. And your response is to trust. It is to rely on. It is to walk being thankful for what he has done for you. Being thankful for what he has given to you. And living your life enjoying who he is in your life. That is faith. And that has nothing to do with the law. Absolutely nothing. In verse 31, But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law? No, of course they didn't. Because they never could. They never would. He never gave it for that reason. That was the false assumption. The false assumption was that if Israel pursued it, if anybody pursued the law of righteousness, then they would arrive at something. But no, they arrive at nothing. Emptiness. Despair. That's what they arrive at. They don't arrive at righteousness, that's for sure. In verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Pursue what? Pursue their God, not pursue the law. They did not pursue their God. They did not pursue righteousness by faith. It does not mean they should have pursued the law by faith. That's what people read into this for some reason. I don't know why. People read into this the idea that you have to pursue the law by faith. Well, he just got finished explaining that the Gentiles arrived at where God wanted them to arrive to without the law. So how can you say that? How can you say... I can tell you how you can say that. You can say that by ignoring verse 30. Just do that. Ignore verse 30 and pretend it's not in there. Just, you know, take a marker and black it out or something. No, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is understand that your assumption was wrong. That it is not the law that you pursue by faith. It is righteousness. And righteousness, being right with God, is only possible when you believe him. What do we believe? You believe that he doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. Start with that. You believe that he has resurrected you. You believe that he lives within you. You believe that he is going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to reveal all truth to you. He is going to do that. He will do that in time. 
in many ways. He can't do it all at once. You certainly can't handle it. Be thankful for whatever he does reveal to you. But he begins a work with you when you are born again by his spirit, and he will complete that work. He will complete the work that he began, and he began it when you were resurrected through the gospel. You are to believe that. You are to believe that because of his forgiveness, he loves you. You are to really believe that. Because if you will truly believe that, there is no temptation to sin when it comes to sin so that you might feel loved. Sin so that you might be loved by somebody, even though you know they're lying to you. No, you know that you are loved. And if you are loved by your God, and if you are resting in that, if you are believing that, then that temptation can no longer have a hold against you. How many sins have you ever committed because you wanted somebody to like you? How many? Many, many sins. It shouldn't take you very long to think of a few. But if you believe the truth that your God accepts you, why would you commit sins so that somebody else would accept you? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. This is the value of your God and having a relationship with him. This is just a small example that explains to you that regardless of whether you have the law, you don't have the law, if you will believe in what he has done, if you will believe in who he is, then he will meet the deepest needs of your heart, he will fulfill you, he will then transform you and change you as he who is within you lives his life with you as you live your life with him. And together, you grow to experience a relationship with one another that can never be compared with, with anyone in the world. Again, in verse 32, he says, Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. If you will believe, you will not be disappointed. Now, one thing that I really want you to understand and see here is that he describes two different groups of people. He does describe the Gentiles, and he describes the Jews. He describes two different groups, those who are part of the nation of Israel and those who are not, who are a part of other nations. The word Gentile is just simply a word that was derived from the word other nations. Now, consider this, and that is that you have one group of people who have the law and another group of people who do not have the law. Now, for those who do not have the law, they never had the law to stumble over. But of course, most of those people rejected the gospel. Only a remnant of those people embraced the gospel. With Israel, they had the law. They had the stumbling stone. But even with the nation of Israel, there was a remnant. Most of the people rejected the gospel. Some of the people embraced the gospel. So I want you to see this, and that is regardless of which group of people you're in, if you're part of Israel or you're part of the Gentiles, if you have the law, if you don't have the law, if you have the stumbling stone or you don't have the stumbling stone, in the end, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. He did this to show that it doesn't matter. He did this to demonstrate that it didn't matter if you had the law or you didn't. It didn't matter because it was always an issue of belief. It has always been that way. The fall of humanity happened because Adam and Eve didn't believe God concerning that tree he told them not to eat from. 
That's where it got started from. And now that he has accomplished forgiveness and salvation, that's where it ends. It started with unbelief in God. It ends with belief in God. But when it ends with belief in God, of course, there is a new beginning. But I want you to see that, that he has covered everything. He has covered all the people, all the circumstances. If you have the complete law of good and evil, you can try that. If you don't, you can try that. The end result is still the same. There is no hope outside of his mercy. He has offered that to humanity. He has called out to the entire world saying, here it is. Here it is. Anyone who is willing to receive it, come and get it. Come and take it. And he has chosen only those who want it to take it. That's how he made the choice. He made the choice by saying that you have to decide that you want it. Those who don't want it, don't get it. Those who do, do. Those who do are the chosen ones, the new chosen people. They are chosen according to the way that he discriminated between the two people of those who are not chosen and those who are. He has discriminated because of the gift that he is offering. Some people want it, others don't. You speak to people and offer to them the message of the gospel, and you'll see that some people want it, other people don't. And those who don't have made their choice. He hardens their heart only because they don't want what he is offering and they don't want to meet his expectations. They would rather just simply live their lives and do their thing and not be confronted by him at all. It is as simple as this. There is the gospel, the good news, and we are to believe our God. When we believe our God, when we know our God and we experience him personally, We want others to know him as we do. We want others to know him in a greater way than we do. Paul expressed this in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation, referring to his brethren, the Jewish brethren, who rejected the Messiah. He still wanted them to know. We want people to know now. And so on occasion, you might be discouraged because you recognize that only a remnant are saved. But don't let that stop you from sharing the gospel with whoever will listen. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net